on Control. Um, if you did not know, we originally were going to do Control as a two-parter, but then we said, hey, we like this game a whole lot, so let's uh, play out this DLC and make it a three-parter. But uh, we're glad that you guys joined us today. With me, as always, Michael. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. You doing good? Yeah. I'm, uh, it's, it's another late-night recording. I'm a little bit tired, but the funny thing about this show is, as we go on, the more excited I get, so I get just all revved up, and then I go home and can't sleep. So, uh, fun kind of circle of uh, motion here on this show. Funny story, uh, Nick was, went to a hotel, rang the light bulb three times, and now he's stuck in an alternate dimension, so he will not be joining us today. Yeah, he's in, he's in a hotel somewhere in uh, Montana. He can't get out. Uh, <laughs> but he'll be back, hopefully, by the next show. So we see if he can figure out how to hit that bell three times and get it all figured out. He'll, as we leave our recording area, we're going to see uh, superimposed images on the wall of him trapped somewhere. <laughs> I really, I hope that this is not somebody's like first episode and they just skip the other two control episodes because like I have no clue what the hell they're talking about. If you do, just get what? What are you doing? Yeah, why you? Why are you gonna going jump to into a game, a part three of a game I have no context for whatsoever? That's a question I wonder about on uh, our listenership. How many people actually are familiar with the games we discuss, and how many people turn it off once we start talk- stop talking about games that we have played? I'm sure that I'm sure the analytics would tell us this. But also, we don't break down the analytics that much. So, uh, and maybe we don't want to know, Michael. Maybe we don't want to know. Um, maybe we are the Netflix of podcasts that it just goes, are you still listening? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I a question, really? Really? <laughs> but it's going to be a fun show today. We're going to be uh, doing our normal uh, talk about some games. And then, obviously, we're going to be digging deep into the two DLCs of Control, The Foundation and then AWE. Um, and then that'll wrap up our conversation on control, and then we'll announce our next game. So it's gonna be fun. Let's do uh, let's do the rounds. Let's talk about what we've been playing. Uh, Michael, what yes. you been playing? Uh, the it's been a very busy couple weeks for me. So the only thing I had played that would thought I would finish it, but at, at the very end of this game is uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which is something you've been kind of chopping away at for probably about a month now something like that i was slowly chipping away at it then i took a break from it and then i do what i usually do when i come back to a game after a long haul i get to the point where i always stop just before the point where it gets really really good and then i can't put it down i can't stop playing it so over the past couple weeks i probably put like 10 more hours into it because it was the only thing i played when i had free time to play something else especially with um open world games a lot of times it's that like 60 percent mark or whatever it is where it's like all of a sudden it's like and now here's a sprint to the finish where it's like things are really happening and progressing and changing and um that's like the point when you hit that you're like okay now we gotta be committed you know now the story is ramping up and the tension is at its absolute highest point Everything's getting really emotional in ways I did not expect. And it's just a really good game. Like, the combat is excellent, especially when you unlock all the stances. Because you have four stances in the game. They're each strong against a certain weapon class. You have your 
stance against swords, against shields, against uh, spears, and against the brutes, which is the last one you unlock because it kind of makes those big guys less of a problem. So until then, you're always trying to like weed out the enemies except the brutes and then kind of like dancing around them, trying not to get hit, especially when you're playing on hard mode like I am because they want the uh, samurai style. Uh, you can cut the enemies down pretty quick, and I kind of want the fact that they can cut you down pretty quick too. Yeah. Keeps combat absolute tension i believe there's a mode where it'll make it'll equalize you and enemies go down in about one hit i'm like that sounds amazing but uh i don't know maybe for a new game plus after since i can go back with all the stances i unlocked yeah i feel like that's uh that's um it's very fun in short doses but like there's a lot of potential there for kind of like cheap deaths Mm -hmm. and um I think that could get frustrating quickly, but I like the concept, especially because that fits like the samurai movie mentality of guys just getting hit with like one strike across the chest and then they fall apart. So like, I feel like it's cool that it's in there. I think you're right. A new game plus would be perfect for that, but I don't know if that's the best way to experience the game. No, for it, the first time, absolutely. Yeah, because I've ran into this problem before. A buddy in college of mine, I bought the Metro series because I think the whole the two games remastered was like seven dollars or something yeah, yeah. a couple years a few years ago and my buddy in college was like oh you gotta play on ranger mode ranger which is a mistake because you get killed in one hit but the enemies all get killed in one hit and it like limits ammunition so like you're always scrounging for ammo I was like that sounds amazing that player was like man this is really hard not funny He's like yeah i never finished it yeah <laughs> i was like i um i was so pissed because i was like i'll just change the difficulty back down it's like i'm already 10 hours into this thing and i can't do that so i just never finish it out of spite Every time I, I look at that thing, I just get mad at my I, roommate for suggesting such a terrible decision. I really like the Metro franchise. I played the um, original release, which, boy, howdy, that was something when that thing first came out. The remastered edition, the big thing for the original, what it did is it gave the control scheme and some of the like economy and things like that from Last Light, mm-hmm. which I believe is the second game. Um, yeah, the second game. It gives that control scheme and some of the difficulty from Last Light and puts it into the ability to play the original Metro um, with that control scheme. And that makes the game a lot more playable and a lot more enjoyable. Um, it streamlines a lot of the stuff that in the original game was not streamlined at all. But uh, all three of those games, and I think Exodus kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap. Um, when that came out, it seemed like people were a little mixed on it. Um, all three of those games are very, very good. And I think that playing the remasters was are it, very, like, it's the way to play them. I wouldn't go back and play the original Metro. Was it one of those series where pe- people kind of liked the jank of the original, and the more, like, you streamlined it, the people who were there from the beginning were like, this isn't what Metro is, this no, is my Metro, or was it just... I don't think that, because, I mean, I was there from the beginning, and I really liked the first game, even gotcha. despite the jank. But I think, to be honest with it, the jank made it harder to enjoy. There was so many great concepts with the concepts of, like, uh, breakable masks and filters and uh, everything being on a resources being your primary, like, obstacle. Um, with the idea of, like, the economy of, like, having high-quality ammunition also be your uh, money. So in doubt, you can shoot your money at people, you know. But it's the off, you know. It's the should I run away and try to save my ten AK forty seven bullets because so I can go buy an upgrade, or mm-hmm. do I just waste them on people? Um, 
like I feel like once they cleared out the jank, it made it a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. I feel like Last Light really made that series a lot more tolerable. I wouldn't have suggested the first game before the remastered to many people. But once the remaster came out with the last light control scheme and stuff like that, it became a lot more of an obvious thing where I was like, yeah, you should play this. And then Last Light and Exodus are a lot more user-friendly. Gotcha. Exodus, for sure, is very user-friendly. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ha- I, you know, you don't have to deal with some of the, the stresses of the original Metro. Metro. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the games, they're good games. They're depressing, Russian literature-based oh, games. <laughs> I have the book. I bought the book after playing a bit of the game, but I never uh, dove too deep into that. Yeah, I didn't read the. Um, I didn't read the book, which is kind of odd for me. Usually, you know, if I get into something, I'll read the book. But you are an extended ma- uh, material type person. If yes. you like, if you like a fiction, you'll be like, give me everything having to do with this fiction. Yeah. So usually, I would, I would read it, but I feel like, especially the first game, is very um, heavy on text because a lot of the game's story is told to you viva. The loading screen. Um, Your protagonist giving like a account as because he doesn't talk any time in no. the game. It's all like his journal entries. And, and I want to say some of that is directly from the book. That sounds right. Um, <laughs> I mean, and no the way it's, the way it's written kind of makes me think it is because it's very descriptive, like the book would be. So I wonder if that's just from the book. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe one day we'll play a Metro game for this show. I could see us doing maybe Last Light. I don't know if I would make us do the first one, but Last Light I, I, is of the three my favorite, the second game. But uh, with Ghost of going back, yeah, going back, um, you you almost completed it. Uh, it's I, you've talked about before. It's a beautiful game. I've shared a bunch of photos from that photo yeah. mode, like us including all my like armor paints and layouts to the point where. When I became just like a stealth assassin at the end of the game, I like uh, combined a bunch of armor sets to where I look like Batman. <laughs> Do you feel like that game, um, from a story point of view, kind of? I know you haven't finished it, but does it nail the story point of view yes. of what? Because that game is so treading off of like these classic samurai movies. Do you feel that the story kind of still evokes those kind of movies? A little. It. It doesn't do anything you haven't seen before, it, especially in like the samurai movies and stuff. It plays with a lot of those tropes and that, but it does. Where it shines is where I think a lot of open world games kind of falter, and that's like the characters. Your main cast of characters are all very strong, especially Jin, the protagonist. Like his journey and what he grapples with throughout the whole thing, and like his relationship with his uncle. Are kind of what drive the uh, opposing uh, philosophies of that game because he broke away from like the samurai order because he thought it was Jin broke away from the samurai order because he thought it was the only way that he can stop the Mongols. But his uncle is very much like we have to do this like samurai like by the book. Even if we even if we're defeated, we'll we'll die to, with honor. We're going to die with the honor and the knowledge that we never compromised. Exactly. Um, those are great. I, I like that. The, I always like stories that deal with that. There's a great comic series called Seven to Eternity by Rick Remendel um, that deals with that entire concept that, you know, how far are you willing to compromise to survive? Or how far are you willing to, you know, are you willing to compromise to be able to get what you want? 
but still have to live forever with the knowledge that you you sacrificed your beliefs to mm-hmm. do so. And are you willing to die for your you know your actual your your beliefs? And also, is it just where is the line between just stubbornness and arrogance? And actually ha- hanging on to something that has value. Mm-hmm. So any story that can actually really dig into that, I think, is very interesting. And that's the part I believe the story handles the most, and that's like the main crux and main theme of the entire story. And that's why I think it does what it does the best. The combat is excellent. Playing it at a high difficulty is really intense every combat situation is great and the duels especially are set in beautiful landscapes there's a bit in the game where you're have you have to duel like five assassins who have like a bounty on your head and you track them down to like the most samurai cliche environments like we're going to fight in uh a white flower field in the middle of a storm or we're going to fight at the bottom of this waterfall or red uh, flying over like well the red trees are falling stuff um, like that but it's exactly what you want you want those like you know you want this game to like evoke your favorite duels from like samurai movies you know, you watch like the long wolf and cub movies and mm-hmm. stuff like that and you know you watch those movies and like if you watch them today you're like oh these are kind of stereotypical moments like you know two samurai meet on a bridge over this rapids but like there's a reason why those tropes walk. And when you are doing something like this, there's such a like an honoring of those tropes. I don't want to see anything different. You don't have to subvert the tropes when you're doing something that's like directly paying tribute to that. Exactly. Like every duel starts with like a uh really like widescreen shot of like our two heroes and it like zooms in on like their eyes and then the last shot before the duel is Jin grabbing his sword and using his thumb to like undo the sheath and every time it's like let's go every single it never wears thin each yeah. time and the duels are uh always excellent they're always uh to the point where one of the assassins i beat on my first try that hard difficulty and it just felt so good like nailing the rhythm of like the combat and everything because each uh one kind of had their own like style yeah and everything and when you fight then you fight like some like the master of those assassins and everything uh he just like has a combination of all of their combat styles so you have to like think on your feet and that's a tough fight it's one of those games where the boss fights essentially are going to kill you and make you feel like i don't know how to get around this but it's one of those when you figure it out you're not going to take a single hit you're just like all right he's lining up this attack i'm going to dodge back lunge forward and it just feels so good when you nail that down that pattern so well in a game like that that you can get killed so easily how is like the checkpoint system and things like that can do you feel like you're able to bounce right back yes because i think that's the difference between having a boss fight in particular that's extremely difficult being frustrated or just being challenging like if you're able to bounce right back into the boss fight and go 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 and keep keep walking at it press x two seconds later you're at that fight Okay, then that walks. But, or press X or press O to go back to the open world and come back later. Pretty small. Okay. But it doesn't you... do that. It doesn't give you that choice until you die a few times. Until then, it just throws you right back at the fight. So it's like a second. I, I think that that's wise. Like, I really enjoy games that are difficult. And But the problem is the 
the set dressing around the difficulty is so important. How quickly are you able to get right back into it and lawn and use the information that you lawned from the death you just had? I haven't looked up if they if it does if it's that fast on like a PlayStation Four because I am playing the PS Five version, so that SSD might be helping because it was like a twenty second load time beforehand. So with these new consoles, I'm a lot more. I'm a lot more excited to try higher difficulties on things. I'm really, I'm literally counting down the days till Elden Ring comes out. Yeah, my one of my most anticipated games in a long time, just because I, just the idea of, I don't have to wait for a long load time, and if I die, I can just go somewhere else mm-hmm. and do a different challenge and get I think stronger somehow. So. I I really hope that thing t- comes out to be what we all hope it is, because mm-hmm. I would love to see that be a Dark Souls game. That because of the ability to just like I'll come back to this later, you can kind of subvert the the nature of like a Dark Souls where you're just beating your head against the wall on a boss or on a particular enemy group. So I'm really hoping that thing comes out well. It's, I, uh, I read Game Informer's cover story on it, and they basically said exactly that. They're like, "Hey, go back, do a challenge you can beat, get stronger, and then come back to this yeah. thing." I'm like, "Perfect, that's exactly bi- what I want." The ability to go and level yourself up a little bit and come back later is... Or find a new armor set or a new weapon set that will help you out. Like, just I just want something to click where I pick up a thing and go, Oh, this would get me around this attack. Aha! Then go back and still die. Yeah, (laughs) but this time die with a little bit more dignity. (laughs) Um, Anything else you want to talk about? That's it for me. Uh, I got a couple of things I want to talk about. I finally jumped on the Windjammers 2 um, train. Uh, I did not play a ton of the original Windjammers. I fiddled with it a couple of times, but it wasn't a game I was super into just because, eh, just never had an opportunity. But, uh, damn, this game is hard. <laughs> it really is. It's a very difficult game. Um, I've not had the uh, nerve yet to play online. I've been playing just the arcade mode. But man, they don't take much. Uh, they don't give you much uh, leniency in that arcade mode. Even, even on the easy difficulty, you hit particular, particular guys, and they'll just wipe the floor with you. If you ain't <laughs> careful. Um, but, I've had better luck online than I have on the arcade mode. Actually, I wouldn't doubt it because, like, I was sitting. I started it on easy. Um, there's not a great tutorial in that no, thing. No, it's, it's uh, you go and it shows you how to do the motion. But you're like, okay, uh, I'm gonna hit right on the controls and just go to the next option. You're like, no, I need to, I want to practice this. Yeah, the fact that it doesn't have like the fighting game training mode, where because this game reminds me a lot of a fighting game. It, it is a fighting game in disguise. Yes, it's a fighting game disguised as a sports game, but um, aka the, the best sports game. Yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, it was really weird to me that there's not like a basic training mode where you could walk on throwing. You're throwing the disc off the walls or getting the, the right motions to hit some of the power throws and some all of, that stuff. Some of us are Mortal Kombat people. We never had to do half-circle motions or pretzel yeah. motions to, to I something. mean, it, it, and like I said, it's it's a damn challenging game. I uh, I maybe get, I might give the online a little bit of a try just because you're probably right. They might be more forgiving online because everyone else is on there trying to do it too, not as... Uh, yeah mechanical as uh, the computer is it play playing online made me much better at the game specifically playing nick okay uh nick wiped the floor with me for the first few rounds and i got to the point where we were about evenly matched after after seeing how a human plays versus how a computer plays. yeah like the one kind of like cheap tactic i've been using against the computer is the spike where you jump up and instead of throwing it 
with the A button, you use the B to just, just slam it down, like, slam it straight down, and so like the lowest point total you can usually get, but like the computer doesn't seem to like grasp that offensive tactic as easily. But boy, man, like they like said, those times where I would just I'll be on a roll, win four or five ga- uh, rounds, and then gets demolished what's cool about windjammers 2 is that like there's a lot more variety in the stages and that there are some arenas that like the wrestling ring which is my favorite arena where if you do a slam it's worth four points yeah versus like two on the air stages so it like opens up more tactics than people usually do because then all of a sudden everybody's trying to use that slam i like the so um, keeps you on your toes a bit i like the casino one I do like the casino well, one. It's, uh, it's like it's randomizing <laughs> it. So it's like you can throw a right perfect down the middle and it'll only be a one. But then next time it'll randomize and it'll be an eight. <laughs> you know? so, uh, it's, I really enjoy I enjoy that game a lot. And then I've been uh, finally getting to Death's Door. Um, and uh, that game, I'm not as far into it as I would like. But I very, very much have uh, enjoyed it. It's a charming freaking video game. You play as a... A little raven walking around with a sword collecting souls okay <laughs> um you literally work for the department that goes out and handles that business <laughs> so a bunch of other ravens working at desks um but it's a it's a it's a very it reminds me of a, like a zelda like okay the, like an old a top like down a, like a top down zelda gotcha um the boss fights in particular feel like that and but it's a it's charming as hell man it's got so much personality um and it's just it, it feel it's a relaxing little game to play it's got its difficulty but like i said it it just with something about the wards whimsical enough okay that even though it's a little bit difficult at times you can just kind of okay i you know, took a few hits here got beat the department of death stuff kind of reminds me of like grim fandango yeah it's very much true it like when you arrive at the beginning of the game you literally hop off the bus to report to work <laughs> And uh, people are giving you crap about showing up late, and you have to go out into the ward and go collect some souls, man. And uh, there's even like some, it's a very, like, it deals a lot with death, but without it being so far be- extremely depressing. Yeah. It has some of the same concepts and vibes of a Grim Fandango. And then, like I said, it plays very much like an old top down Legend of Zelda. Which is, you know, those worst things to play as. True. You know? Um, I've so, heard nothing but good things about Yeah, so far story. I've enjoyed the hell out of it. It's very, very good. Um, and between that and Windjam was being kind of the, the bulk of my time has been taken up. Um, and that and another video game. Would you like to talk about another video game that I've been playing? Uh, what would that game be? It would be Control. Have you been playing Control? I've been playing Control for like that's the past g- month. <laughs> that's good, because if not, we'd be in trouble. Um... See, that's, that's why I'm a professional podcast host. Exactly. You you keep just us on track. Let us know what moving. games we're playing. I, I, I can tell you about what time it's time to move on to the actual meat and potatoes of this show. <laughs> no, we've been playing Control for probably about a month now. Yeah, because um, I have I love Control. Uh, I generally love this game, which makes this, this conversation a lot weirder. Yeah. Because um, this feels so... Detached. Detached from control. It really does. A lot. But at... Mm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have two minds here. I wish, like, the DLC itself tied more into the main game. But at the same time, then you have a situation where if the DLC is, like, too good and ties too much into the ending, 
it becomes a situ- an Alan Wake situation where it's like, uh, why wasn't this included in the game? This is the real ending. Yeah. So it's a it's a double edged sword here in a way that. No, I, you brought up a very good yeah. point because we played Alan Wake and then we played the DLC and we made the argument that the DLC was almost necessary to understand or get a better understanding of Alan Wake's situation and it felt kind of like the true ending was yeah. after you played the two DLCs. Um, here, you're not going to really be missing out on much if you don't play the two control DLCs. Now, I will say this. Um, message from Nick. Nick hated these two DLCs, apparently. Um, Michael, I think just from your vibe, you had some frustrations about these. I'm overall pretty positive on the DLCs, but there are some parts I hated and was in completely frustrated with. Mainly, like, the balancing of, like, the side stuff I, handling in here. I think I came away with this game the most positive of these two DLCs. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that we're going to talk about as we go through, um, and Nick will would... I think probably resonate some of your points also because I feel like difficulty on this, while there is some serious difficulty spikes, I didn't struggle as much as I think you guys did. And my questioning was, and that's not me like being like professional gamer over here. Yeah. It was just there was tactics that for me were working extremely well. Like I'll tell you right now, the bulk of this game, once I got the, uh, I believe it's the charge is what it's called, but it's a rocket launcher attachment for your gun, basically. It shoots three rockets. That thing is a death machine for me. Like, I wiped the floor with, if there was, if we are in a room, like an enclosed room, and there was a bunch of enemies that spawned in front of me, nine times out of ten, they're all dead in about six seconds. I empty <laughs> those three rockets and then I throw stuff at them, and they're all dead. Now I'm playing on normal. Um, I I so I'm not like I I'm on hard or anything. But I don't I'm think there the... is a difficult. I couldn't find a difficulty slider. The only thing I could find was assist mode. Which, when I was at the last chance I had to finish this before we record this, I was like two bad uh, boss runs away from just sliding <laughs> on assist mode, turning on invincibility, going. I just need to see the end of this thing. See, I really. And I think maybe I just received some attachments or some of the mods that really helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big question I would have is, have you guys been looking for the hidden rooms? The hidden rooms. Specifically the ones that give you the... Have the boxes that give you an additional like weapon mod or a personal mod? Well, they're, um, they're rooms that when you break into them or you get to them, they will label at the top hidden rooms. I found a few of those, yeah. but I haven't been actively seeking them out just um, because I didn't know how many of those it are. It seems left. like those are like where you get the most powerful mods. That would make sense, yeah. Um, I've found quite a few of them, and I found uh, my most powerful mods for that charge weapon in particular gotcha. from those rooms. So a part of me wonders if I just got myself a nice broken mod <laughs> comp capability because I had three, um, like a five is like the, the rare um mod and then you can get a six i didn't find a single yeah six. I've, oh, man. i ended up with like at the end of the game like four sixes gotcha. i want to say it was four sixes so i ended up with a my jesse's very powerful <laughs> I, I pretty much horse skill tree minus the melee is completely maxed out so i don't know if maybe i just got myself some mods that helped me out here but i didn't struggle as much with the the difficulty spikes but my biggest kind of concern with these dlcs were 
they feel like they were developed by somebody else. Um, there's some it, of the pacing is off. Some of the pacing and some of the tightness of the combat, and especially the platforming in Foundation, seems just off in such a way. Where in the main game, uh, using the levitation ability, going over a chasm, and then grabbing a ledge, always felt like you could. You always had a little wiggle room. Some of these jumps and platforming feel near pixel perfect. Where I was doing some of the where the bits where you have to like uh, walk up some of the tower sections in the foundation, and then you're on the edge of it and having to kind of glide across the chasm. There was a couple times where I'm like, I think I'm doing this wrong, and then realize, oh no, there was just uh, I had to go to the very edge before I hit the button, and only then could I just get there and hang on. You know, you pretty much had to get very comfortable with, like, jumping out into the void and then holding A to get the max height. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, at that point, got the levitation maxed out completely. So that made it easier. But I was sitting there many times. I was like, if you do not have the levitation maxed out completely, I don't know how you're hitting some of these jumps. Yeah. Um, And it feels very... um, it feels like the original game never really made the navigating of the environment the challenge. It made more of the, um, like there was some puzzle to it or maybe a little bit of, uh, like it was unique combat situations with the environment. Mm-hmm. Here there was a lot of platforming. It reminded me of the, the Half-Life Zen stuff. Like when you play the first Half-Life and you know, you're in this really tight first-person shooter and then you get to Zen and it's like, here's a bunch of, jumping on asteroids and stuff (laughs) and it's like why are we doing this it felt very much like padding um that's kind of the i guess we'll talk about the foundation first and then do the awe because i feel like the foundation is the weaker of the two i i agree with that and that's what i did right after um the the base game yeah i feel like the foundation is also the direct continuation of the game while awe is extremely separate and here's the weird thing one more gameplay thing before we go in the enemies in awe were weaker than they were in foundation i think they were at a lower level because when they first walk into the section with awe they were about seven or eight comparatively even after so i didn't have as much problem with the base enemies in awe which makes me wonder since you you did awe first i did awe first um enemies have like I said, com- I think I died in this entire experience four times. That is insane to me. And so, like, <laughs> and, and two of them were in a particular situation on, in the Foundation DLC. Um, so I don't really combat was never a problem for me. I maybe I just took to it very easily. Um, but one of the things that I did notice in the AWE, particularly, the enemy placement was a lot lighter. You dealt with fewer enemies at one time. They didn't throw as many of the mini, like the mini bosses at you, like the guys who like have the ability to throw a bunch of material at you or the uh, snipers. Yeah. Um, the foundation threw a lot more of those kind of enemies at you. There was a lot of. They felt like two completely different, like structured things. Whereas uh, AWE focused a lot on like puzzles. Foundation was a lot of monster closets, essentially, and, yeah. and some with occasional bursts of platforming it was a lot of platforming and combat and it was let's get into the foundation yeah let's get um i will it say it starts strong 
It starts very strong. So the concept, we leave uh, Jesse post the end of control. Dylan is in a coma. Um, Jesse is officially the director. And, well, she's been the director. But she's stepped into the role of director now. And the uh, facility is still under lockdown due to kind of cleanup of the hiss. There's not more pouring in, but uh, there's still a lot within the Bureau. Yeah, and like one of her closing lines at the end of Control is that uh, there's still work to be done. And then, you know, and Jesse, as the director, is basically handling that cleanup process. It basically gives you an excuse as a player to go do all the side stuff. Emily straight up tells you every question you have lingering at the end of the control. You can just ask her. I think that's in the base game. Yes, it is. But I, so I was just like, oh, here's here's everything that was kind of like left hanging on is kind of just Emily's here. Yeah. And Jesse immediately promotes Emily to the head of research, which was weird because I heard people talk about it before I did it. I was walking in there like, that's weird that they made Emily head of research. I guess they're handing out promote. I guess the new director is just hanging out promotion left and right. That went there and promoted Emily. I was like, that's weird. That yeah. Should have, that shouldn't have triggered. It's almost like it assumes you probably head straight in there, I guess. But, I don't know. But in such a weird game, you can kind of forgive it. Like, maybe, maybe. something told them. Maybe Alan wrote it in a memo somewhere. Yeah. That was projected on a wall. Maybe there was a time-traveling memo which that, my, you know, told everybody. Which my first note in the foundation is all caps, Alan Wake! Because he appears on the elevator, Jesse walked towards the elevator. Now that's the cue for AWE. That is the cue for AWE. And I was like, I could just go this way. Yeah. But I was like, I'm going to do foundation first. Yeah. The, um, I had already got that because that is the cue that starts off when you get the Into the Dark mission in AWE. Mm-hmm. So um, it's cool that you got it there. But it is kind of weird that they would you would get it there because it's like that. that's triggering you know, the... Yeah, the thing I was like, I could just ride this elevator a little bit you further could. and see and see my boy. Um, <laughs> we get a call on the hotline from the board, informing them that there is a new threat to the foundation of the oldest house. Um, Crisis the, in foundation. The concept that also the foundation is both a place, and this is about the story of the founding of the bureau and the foundation of the bureau. So it is a play on words. Um, yeah, <laughs> we head down to. Uh, Ari's vacation spot from the main game. The kind of into the void. It's literally like, I guess this is the end of the oldest house in a way where we were right, except more of the beginning of the oldest house. Yeah, it's it's less of the end of the oldest house and more of the beginning of where everything was founded. Um, very Lord of the Rings style door down there. <laughs> Speak bit. friend and enter. Um, but uh, that triggers your entry into the foundation, which is an entire... A uh, new uh, play map, basically. This game does that a lot if you look at the control breakdown of the floors being triggered by certain events in the game. Mm-hmm. You are getting a new location for the foundation. You will get one for AWE also. Um, it, it's a unique environment with it being a cave structure that kind of both blends in and out of the uh, astro plane because the concept is we will come to learn that due to the destruction of something called the Nail by Marshall, who, uh, if you remember Marshall, she was in the baseline game. She was head of security. She pieces out throughout that game around Chapter 7 or 8. I got something to do, she says, and disappears. (laughs) Um, Well, Marshall is kind of going to be our driving force in this uh, because she's speaking to us on the hotline, Mm -hmm. which tells us that she's dead because the only people we talk to 
on the hotline is dead people and the board. Um, but due to the destruction of the nail, uh, the astral plane is colliding with our reality. So there's breakdowns in our reality down here. And if it's not stopped, eventually the astral plane will just consume all of reality. Exactly. So, um, and being the director, you're like, I guess this is my problem to fix. Yeah. <laughs> and when you find the nail, that's where you're getting the basic information from the board. The board is a lot more jumpy about this a lot um they're more... very concerned and they're out of control in some ways um in the baseline game even dealing with the hiss the board felt like uh i guess the word for it is confident in what they were doing mm-hmm. here they feel disheveled and out of control like even their like slashes of that usually on right they're completely out of line like they can't reach a consensus exactly anything like well you you can select gifts from this entity you cannot accept gifts from this entity and later you can't accept gifts from this entity because we decided you're our favorite director those or you're our favorite slash current director which is great (laughs) when you get to the now it gives you access to the astral plane and we're given a um a choice between two abilities which is one is a fractal and one is shape Shape allows you to create platforms and things like that. Like out ripping of the crystals out of the wall. Yes, which is the main dominant su- uh, kind of uh, set dressing to this area is these crystals that are all over the cave. This, the whole environment thing is very much like the planet Crate from The Last Jedi. Yes. Like the um, hard white but like jarring like red and like blue and translucent crystals yeah it's a very and like the red sand very striking environment yeah it's a good looking environment yeah um i pick shape as my first one instead of fractal fractal gives you the ability to destroy crystals i pick Um, shape first yeah because i was like because you go down and you see like uh two paths where you see a demonstration and naturally like i want to rip stuff out of walls versus i can shoot a gun (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Fracture seems less powerful. The game gives you the uh, impression that you're only going to get one for That's what I was experience. thinking. Because yeah. the first couple of times where you see where you can use, uh, is it Fracture? Where you rip the crystal out of the wall? Yeah, no, that's Shape. Shape. When you use Shape, there was like an object next to it that was like a rope coil. So I, I thought Fracture was like, oh, that must be the second ability. Like you use it on yeah. those and like... Like a grappling hook or something. Yeah, that's why I realized yeah. I missed out on a grappling hook because that's a problem. <laughs> no, yeah, but I did not. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, spoiler! Uh, you're going to gain both abilities, and it just really picks which two of the four locations you go to are you going to gain access to. Um, Non-linear design, kind of. Not yeah, really. <laughs> they take a very similar approach in AWE, where they use the main mission design is an excuse to just take you to all the environments. It splits you in different ways where you experience yeah. them in a different order, but you're doing the same thing. Because uh, you, the main goal here is uh, you must collect the four keys exactly. to restore. I'm like, this is a, this is a video game as video yeah, game. Yeah, and that goes back to one of my kind of <laughs> confusions here is it feels so straightforward and video gamey yeah um and i was really looking for the catch because one thing i liked about control a lot was 
structural-wise, things were always weird and off-place and out of order and confusing because that was the environment and the world we've created. Here, things really kind of, especially in the foundation, it's a straightforward kind of concept. Fix these four things to fix the nail. And I was like, well, clearly there's going to be a twist. And when the twist comes, it was a lot of, uh, but we'll get there. Um, the four locations are not particularly shocking. Um, we go to the collapse department, which is literally just a department that uh, the oldest house shifted and left the oldest house down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of memos about the fact that the department just kind of lets people who gets lost in the shifts are just kind of abandoned. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a it's just a walking hazard. Sorry, buddy. You got your whole department got shifted into the the nether realm, mm-hmm. and uh, we hate that for you. But yeah, we'll send a fruit basket to the family. Yeah, um, a lot of these are given by one of the previous directors who has a kind of a through line throughout this whole thing. Well, he's not a director; he's head of research. Head of research, right? Yeah, he's uh, the uh, original head of research. When they entered the oldest house. Northmore was yes. the first to discover the board. And do you want to get into that? Because I was going to touch on that. And we'll, we'll wrap it up because it's kind of the through line. Draw this There's kind DLC. of two stories going on here. There's a story of Jesse being down here to fix the nail. And then there's the story of the founding of the true version of the Bureau. So we'll kind of go through Jesse's story and then we're going to, we'll talk about that subplot. Sounds good. Because um, then at the end, also, I want to talk about side missions. Um, there's, like I said, with this, it's just there's the collapse department that has a great moment where you can find the astral plane in a bathroom. Did you find this? The astral plane? There's, there's an achievement given to you for this. If you go to one of the bathrooms, it just randomly goes out into the astral plane. I missed this. Bit. Yeah, and it's uh, it, I, I kind of noticed this in the original baseline control. Uh, the bathrooms never really held a bunch of cool stuff. They did not. I, I went just, to every one of them and like knocked open a door, and occasionally there'd be like an upgrade thing. In. Yeah, but here, this is kind of like a like a reward for people like me who went to every single bathroom. <laughs> that when you go out there, just out into the astral plane. That'd you be go. cool if it only triggered if you went into every bathroom. Yeah, like it would be cool. or it hit a certain number yeah. of bathrooms, and um, and the, you you do some platforming to gain some upgrades. But, uh, there was a fun is. bit here in this section. There was uh, where you're like riding the elevator up, and uh, there's a bit where you're just grabbing batteries and like lying the way so you can take the elevator up some floors. There was one with a, a fake out battery just there, and you're like, oh, this is gonna be the one. And you throw it, and it does. It just bounces off, and you're like, what? And then you like see a light in the room, and it's just a whole bunch of batteries, and you're just like, ah, oh, they got me. So you yeah. have to find the right one. That was. That was a bit I really liked for some reason. Um, there's some good, like I said, there was some good moments in this. I do not want to take away from. And that. that's what makes it mo- the most frustrating because you can see some of the controls' brilliance in, uh, this DLC and AWE especially, where you're like, man, this could have been great. I could have liked this as much as the main game. Exactly. Just a bit. But that's just the thing about DLCs too, where they got to come out by a certain time. Because if you wait too long, then people have already moved on to different games, and no one's going to buy the DLC for a game that's been out for so long at that point. So you gotta get it out. So it doesn't really leave a lot for polish. And I want to believe AWE 
came out like on the one year anniversary of of control that sounds right so we're close to it because we were talking about it when they announced it on yeah the show we were on the show our wake's gonna be in it <laughs> yeah so i mean there was some uh it's not you know it, it was a pretty decent amount of time between the release and the actual that last dlc um there's some side mission stuff but we'll talk about all that at the end um fixing nails is just going to the astral plane and fixing basically a globe hold square yeah <laughs> um we repeat that process in the next location the warehouse um it's a pretty cool location because you have to do some climbing and some navigating in and out of that towel um which is kind of cool but it's there's a lot of combat here there's not a ton of um particularly interesting um combat scenarios we get a new enemy in this section which is just a guy with a with a pickaxe. A pickaxe. He, I fly constantly. I never am on the ground, so it was like cool. A guy who can't reach me. Like <laughs> really, when I got to that point, because literally my baseline, we go into combat. I fly basically, yeah. and I was like, okay, he was an enemy who's entirely ground based. Th- he can throw a rock at me, but that's not really a big deal. I have the shotgun fully upgraded, so it's if they get really close to my path, I'm just gonna. Yeah, knock him in like three shots each. I, I was sitting there going like, ah, this is an enemy that doesn't really pose much of a threat. Or usually two shots and a piece of wall that I just grabbed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the warehouse does have some cool environmental stuff like navigating in and out of the tower as you climb. But, yeah, once again, you repair the, the second nail. But this is when things get a little bit interesting and a little bit more vague. We become um, aware of a... Of a I guess a character of a, a, a presence yeah. called the formal. Now the formal looks a hell of a lot like the enemy we fought in the side mission dealing with the fridge. Yeah, the uh, two arm, the two like tentacle things, and like the big eye looking like Legend of Zelda boss kind of thing. That looks almost like a uh, lighthouse light. Mm. Something to Something ponder to about. Ponder about. Um, oh yeah, because it it rotates, rotates with a bright it. side. And I was gonna a, say that might be a stretch that I'm thinking about, and go no, that might be on the. There's something. a bright side, and then there's a secondary beam side. Gotcha. Just hmm. something to think about. Yeah. Um, the former is not f- on the same page as the board. <laughs> the board does not like the fact that we're talking <laughs> to the formal. We can get nothing from the formal. We do not understand him. He does not seem to be hostile. The board does not like him. And after talking to the formal, uh, the board is kind of freaked out that we're even talking to him, telling us, do not listen to him. Do not have any interaction with him. But the formal also gives us the secondary ability that the board wouldn't authorize. (laughs) Um, In a great sequence in which the formal brings us back there to go get that ability, and the board goes, we have not given you permission to have this. But wait. you're our favorite. No, wait slash for it. Current. <laughs> they do that after you get the ability. Gotcha. That's right. I even write down here somewhere. I want to say that the board pulls us straight up. Hey, we cool, right? Because <laughs> after you gain the secondary ability, the board goes, "We will go ahead and approve your access to the secondary ability, uh, just because you're our favorite director." Well, slash current um, director. <laughs> yeah, yeah, slash current director. Uh, we appreciate the effort. It's a straight-up equivalent of when you show up your boss and he doesn't want to admit that he didn't have the idea. And he goes, <laughs> I just want to say that was a 
We had, we had a good plan, team. <laughs> team. And keep using the word team instead of you. It's the same thing. Um, it's just the board trying to, like, save it, face, basically. Jesse hypothesizes, I don't know if this is confirmed, that the creature was formerly a part of the board. I had that, yeah, she does ask that question. Jesse's also starting to become more and more, um, distrusting and concerned about the connection to the board. Because of the board's more erratic behavior, the meeting of the formal where they are very angry at the concept Jesse's having anything to do with the formal. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, there was a lot of, like, uh, confusion over why the nail was destroyed in the first place. Um, Jesse's kind of starting to say, well, maybe the board's not as, as, uh, you know, trustworthy here or as on our side as I thought so originally. Mm -hmm. We kind of just take for granted that this mystical force out here in the astral plane has our best interest in mind. And that goes really well with the side plot that's going along with this game. Yeah. So now's a good time to talk about the side plot. So the side plot is played out mostly through memos and recordings of the lead researcher, who is the son of a formal director of the Bureau, pre the discovery of the old house and the discovery of the board. When they discover the old house and they gain access to the foundation, the current director, Northmore, gains access to the service weapon, which was just on a pedestal. And he also gains the first contact with the board, who direct, who label him as their official director. Um, this is interesting because one thing that throughout that kind of whole experience, you realize, A, that the Bureau existed way before they would contact with the board and with mm-hmm. the um, the oldest house, but also that the director kind of, the like, people did question this guy who comes in and say, I now am getting information and I'm now, you know, officially the director as said by this magical force in the astral plane <laughs> um also the concept that the service weapon was claimed by the director and people were very concerned about why there was just a magical gun down here <laughs> you start to see the you see the bureau pre the familiarity familiarity yeah being familiar yeah with all this stuff because the guys the memos and the stuff from the beginnings of the bo- the bureau yeah. are very much like more sane. Like the guys, like we just are just gonna accept the fact that this magical gun is down here, and Northmore is just going to take it mm-hmm. and use it. Like there's a lot more like um, questioning of these things, which is so different than the bureau today, where everybody just takes everything for in stride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a magic copy machine that shoots out deadly blades. Yeah, things happen here. Just in another, Europe. just another day at the office. <laughs> and you can see that this is pre that kind of acceptance of this stuff. The bureau is a lot more concerned about what the hell is happening. <laughs> they and like they question like why is there tools down here? Have we been down here before? And there's all these kind of questions where the modern bureau just kind of accepts things. Mm. Um, and you kind of wonder where which one's better. You know, which one's more dangerous. Um, so that's kind of interesting that we're dealing with Jesse falling out of trust with the board while listening to the story of the original director and his kind of, uh, 
falling under the influence of the board, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, then we have Marshall's quest happening at yes. this time, too, where we're learning more about her uh, wanting to destroy the nail because she thinks that this is where it falls for My me. My understanding mm-hmm. is that she believes that the hiss has corrupted the nail, so she destroys it to try to stop the hiss Gotcha. Like, corruption of the nail itself. Um, The Hiss take a real back seat. They're down here just to give us enemies to fight, but they take a back seat to more of the story of the astral plane kind of crushing into our reality. The astral plane is really the threat here. So was... One thing I was trying to grasp is... So Marshall is in control... Is being manipulated by the hiss to blow up the thing, so they have like a backdoor entry into the bureau. Yes, that's my understanding. Is it Marshall is is incorrect in her quest? Yeah, absolutely. A um, couple other things also. When you do complete the first of the nails, um, when you return to the crossroads where the nail is, or the first of the keys, um, Emily and her entire team are down there. Mm-hmm. And when you confront Emily, you're like, "What are you doing down here?" She goes, "You called me." And Jesse straight up says, no, I didn't. <laughs> and she's like, yes, you did. You called me and told me to come down here. And, like, my f- this goes back to something that I had some confusions on on the foundation. That's never really touched back on again. That's just – Is it just bureau craziness? Um, that might just be – that might be in a memo or a recording that we missed somewhere. Too. I will say this. I, I got the, the achievement for completing every mission in – the foundation okay and i think i found all the memos gotcha. i might be wrong but i was so confused by several of the aspects here of the foundation that i was really looking for answers um she does say uh the nail is either a part of the astral plane is the astral plane contained or maybe both yeah and that's one thing you'll you'll get a lot with with emily she does not pretend to understand everything. She is always has a, a theory. A theory, though, and you know that kind of is in line with what the bureau the, bo- the bureau does. Mm-hmm. Their job is to figure this stuff out, so that means they don't always know what this stuff is. Um, you know, now that we've gained the ability for the second power, we just have access to the second branch, yeah. which is the canyon rim and the research site. And I will tell you right now, I even wrote down here, there ain't much to say about these. Not really. Just areas to explore, fix the fix the keys. Um, Astral plane. Um, navigation. Platforming puzzles and combat arenas. Exactly. Yep. Like um, the story, once you get past the Emily stuff, takes a back seat to a lot of it until you get to the very end of this thing. The one thing that um, really was disappointing to me was I enjoyed Control because Control, at the end of the day, was mostly story-heavy and about understanding what was happening and investigating things, even the side missions. And this really was very combat-heavy, very, like I said, platforming, and it was just not what I come to for this game. Exactly. Um, after fixing the nail, the keys, we have restored the nail, which is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, as Emily says to us, basically, the nail in our reality 
and the astral plane are all vibrating at conflicting frequencies. And they will basically destroy all of them. Um, so a path opens up to underneath the nail because you discover, oh, it looks like the nail was broken. No, that's just what it looks like. The nail actually goes underneath deep into the ground. It was an interesting twist. Yeah, I like that. Um, and Jesse basically being Jesse's like, well, I'll fix it. And they're like, we don't have a plan. And she's like, I'm the director. And this is something that she does a lot now post-game. She's the director. She's here to fix these things. This is her responsibility. So you head down beneath the nail. A lot of platforming again. Not a lot to talk about. Yeah. Until we get down to the base of the nail in which we now have to deal with hiss-infected Marshall, who is our main big boss. This is where we also learned that Marshall was the one who blew up the nail originally. Mm-hmm. And to, cr- to cleanse the nail, we have to get through hiss-infected Marshall. Um, uh, this boss fight. Uh, once again, confusion. <laughs> she shoots at you, but then she walks on platforms that you can blow up. Yep. So just wait till she goes on the platform and then blow it up. You can, and that takes off a little bit of it, but then you have had instances where a bunch of hiss were just flying. I got to the point where when the hiss were out there, I was happy because I could get health back, but then I had points where, like, I was... When it was just me and Marshall running around, especially when she was shooting grenades yeah. at me that I was trying to throw back. She would always shoot the grenades after I had already used my energy. I'm trying to like yeah. dodge out of her way so I couldn't throw it back. And then those to the point where like uh, the screen was just getting really hazy with like so much stuff going on on the screen. It was just... I did. Uh, I did not really enjoy the final bosses of this or spoilers. AWE. Well, I would say right now the AWE boss is not very good. Yeah. Uh, this one I didn't have issues with. I mean, she throws the grenades, but you can throw them back. The hiss that enter from the right there. There's a sniper there that always comes in, who's mm-hmm. a problem. But everybody else is just the ones that just come at you. Um, I. I. Yeah, I didn't have any much trouble after you get through the initial phase of her shooting at you. She just becomes a melee enemy. And uh, that goes back to I fly. Yeah. So it's like, God, you can melee all you want, lady, <laughs> but I fly. So, you know, it's uh, that was a fairly easy You have to do have the rockets I could, that helped you out through. Well, the, rockets the rockets didn't really help me At this point also, much, yeah. I had the um, the mines that you could Oh, yeah, I got with. the mines when I started, I yeah. think, AWE. Uh, yeah. I think what, you can that, get them here. You can. I don't. I'm a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Remember, I did do AWE first, so I might have got them there. But um, you know, either way, you you know, yeah, she is. She does have challenging. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you defeat Marshall, which allows you access to the nail to cleanse it, and then we just get a voiceover about how uh, Jesse doesn't trust the board anymore. And She's going to do str- things her way. And then there's a straight-up footage or shot of the 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 uh, the formal, the entity that we've been kind of talking to, going back down under a platform, and we never get any closure there. And then there's the shot of the pyramid, and the pyramid starts to shake, and then yeah. cuts. And there's no closures there. It's just like, what are you setting up here? I am kind of lost here. I was very confused. I felt like I missed something, but then looking back on it, I don't know how I would have. 
Uh, that made me go, I was like, well, maybe I got to do all the side missions. Now, did you complete all the side missions here in uh, The Founding? I did. I, I beelined most of these. There was one I started but didn't finish, the um, altered item that was the camera. Yes. That, so that's uh, yeah. Jesse Faden starring in Swift Platform is the name of that. Which I mission. was into until the boss at the end. Um, these bosses all give me trouble. Yeah. Like, that's a cool one it's got an 80s 80s riffic soundtrack <laughs> it's mostly just jumping back and forth between two platforms until you get to the end and you deal with an enemy that's one of the flying guys who kind of like crashes down into you um i did not use the rockets to kill him with i used the machine gun um i got a upgrade for the machine gun that if you kill an enemy it does 100% more damage on your next... Uh, it's like a meter kicks oh, in. Oh, gotcha. So when you get to the section where those enemies to, for you to kill, I would shoot one of them, trigger my 100-some percent uh, extra gotcha. damage, <laughs> and then shoot that guy, and it worked pretty damn well. I did not have that benefit. I, so I just... I, I don't know if I just got more lucky with mods. I Maybe, or maybe, I just, maybe I'm just bad at this game. No, like, That's yeah, a possibility. but Nick also struggled with it. And I was like, well, you know, I don't consider myself, like... Maybe that maybe I just took to this combat more, but like I wonder if I just got real lucky with my mods. And I, it wasn't a problem in the base game. I really like the combat in the base game. It's just these two DLCs for some reason just um, did not click for me in any way. The which other, is why I like AWE more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just real quick, the other two side missions we get here is Pope's Collection. Pick up five cards to get access to a basement. Um, the game, there's a known glitch apparently on this. Uh-oh. I picked up all five, and then the game never gave me any more information. What you have to do is it when you do the five, it will act, it will go ahead and respawn the five cards, and you will have to to break the glitch. You have to go and repick them back up. Oh no. no! You receive no like voiceover or anything. You had I had to look it up on Reddit. It's where I found out that you could how to fix it. Cool. Um, but that just they never us, patched this. I don't think they ever did because oh it was a, it was 2021 when the post was on there, like June, and a bunch of people saying they had that problem, and then you know here we are in 2022 and it's still there. But it's oh, apparently a they known released issue. an ultimate edition without fixing this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean crazy. apparently it's a known issue. Um, only thing you do is you get down to, after putting some cards in the right location. Go into a basement, you fight a boss. If your side quest is collect five of anything, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna. Yeah, there's some <laughs> side quest design in this that all is like that. Like, go clean up five of the mold spots or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is probably the best one. It is. Uh, I do not know the name of it. I did not write that down. But it is based. Oh, found footage. Uh, you find a TV. With one of the Hiss guys in front of it, mesmerized. Mm-hmm. On that TV is Ari, live action Ari, the janitor singing and doing some mopping. <laughs> it's in a pitch black cave. So you have to pick up the TV in this pitch black cave that you've fallen into and walk with the TV that hypnotizes whatever you pointed at. Oh, that's fun. So there's tons of enemies that come at you and you hypnotize them to keep out, but you can't see shit. So you have to use the light of the TV. And Ari singing his little song and, and stuff <laughs> to flash on the walls and stuff to get out of the cave. And then when you get out of the cave, you throw it into a containment. Section. Okay, that's pretty great. That's it's pretty the best. Great. It's the best side mission of all three of the game so far. Gotcha. Um, other than that, that's the side missions mm-hmm. that's available in the foundation. Uh, the foundation is kind of a bummer. 
it starts strong and then come becomes whatever. It's, yeah, it, it, it's it just feels it's dis- lacking. It's disappointing in being a uh, continuation of the control story. It is a kind of a disappointment. Agreed. Let's move to AWE. Less of a disappointment. Uh, less of a disappointment. Um, AWE comes available to you earlier on in the game than the Foundation does. But boy, am I glad that this is the last thing we talk about because it's a lot more interesting. Um, Mostly high. Some yeah, there's some stuff there's, in here. I would say yeah. that... We'll talk about it. The fact time. that Alan is very... Like, it does a lot with Alan Wake, but then some of the stuff where it has a really chance to go into that game, it just decides not to. There's a pull-off at the last second. Yeah. And I know that they're trying to set up Alan Wake 2. Which is what the very last thing is. Yeah, but at the same time, this is all about Alan, and I feel like we spun our wheels. Um, It's like in comics now, how there's the vent book. There's a six-issue event but then there's a million one side, you know, books, and some of them are good, but some of them are just like, he was just uh, spinning the wheels of Spider Man. We have to have the character start in the same place as as he ends because exactly. we don't want to affect the main book. Exactly. We so don't. Spider Man can't do anything too crazy here because then he'll throw off issue three of the main event. Alan can't leave the dark place because we need him there at the start of Alan Wake Two. Exactly. So then the question goes to why did you do this? Um, I'm glad you did. Yeah, I'm glad they but did. But why? But why? <laughs> uh, DLC starts off extremely strong. While approaching the elevator, you see the live-action cut of Alan typing away at the typewriter, uh, writing again, referencing Jesse, and it's a great start. So then you're like, wait a minute. How does Alan know Jesse? How does he know about the uh, Bureau itself? Because there's some... Uh, memos in here that reference Alex Casey, which is an FBI agent who was one of Alan Wake's characters who just showed up in the game. In the game. There's direct references to the fact that Casey tries to appeal to the Bureau for information. And the Bureau is very upset about this. (laughs) Because why is this low-ranking FBI agent? They do not know he is a character from Alan Wake's story. But they were concerned about this. It's like weird. He has the same name. That's weird. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only byline. Um, There's a lot here to unpack. Um, DLC starts off, like I said, descending into investigations, which all in all is a great environment. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a lot darker. It's a lot more of a feel of an Alan Wake game. It's worth noting that the elevator button wasn't there before. It wasn't there until Alan put it there. (laughs) <laughs> Which uh, th- this goes back to some things I want to talk about throughout this DLC. There's multiple times where Alan writes about needing a organization and needing a hero, which makes you wonder: Does Alan write in Jesse in the bureau? Does is Alan the reason Jesse is there? Is the entire plot of control because Alan Wake is trying to get out again and he's writing another way? How many potential games? do we have of just Alan trying to write his way out of the dark place by writing a story? So <laughs> this goes back to a theory that I've, heard, I've talked about, um, I mean, I've heard talked about before, and a theory that I kind of picked up on throughout this conversation. Uh, there's references to the fact that there's an uh, increase in altered world events starting 10 years ago. 
with Bright which Falls. Which is, no, post-Bright Falls. Yeah. Which brings me to wonder, is the increase in Altered World events due to attempts by Alan to write himself out of the dark place? Because he has to have an object, using so he has to make like a object of power that drives the story forward. Uh, is the, Oh, I like that. I like that theory. Also, if you look at it, Altered World items look very similar to the affected by the darkness items that you deal with in Alan Wake. Like things like the <laughs> trash cans that are coming up the live. Look an awful like how that camera looked and how the the fridge looks. This is just something I was looking at when, when Alan starts talking about writing about the Bureau and particularly about Jesse made me do a lot of kind of like reevaluating on what was what was Alan and what wasn't? Right? I want to find a li- now. I want to find a list of like altered world events that happened. How many were post? I know uh, that bright falls and how many were pre bright falls. I, I, Is there a correlation? There? I know ordinary happened before bright, bright falls. falls. Yeah, but I know there was a reference to Kiev happening or an altered world event in Kiev that happens. There's a straight up reference to what apparently is the American Nightmare incident. Um, in Nevada, this reference that's post ten years, so there's several references to Alter Ward events that happen after the Bright Falls incident. So I wonder if Alan's and, causing an increase in Alter Ward. And events. they, uh, there is a memo there. One of the first memos you find says the Bureau goes there monthly to investigate Bright Falls. Yes, those, and we don't know if that's because because Alan was one of the potential candidates is why they're still going there. Is it because they still never completely closed down what happened at Bright Falls? Alan Wake is also still missing. That's true. Um, They are aware... The Bureau is aware of Alan's missing. Um, Because they were keeping an eye on him like they did the other uh, candidates. Exactly. A couple of things I want to talk about. The environment down here is all about light and dark because it's dealing with Alan Alan Wake. (laughs) It should. There's a beautiful section in which, um, as you navigate the the beginnings of investigations, uh, there's lots of talk about they're overwhelmed. Um, they were having these incidents happening. They're not getting the proper funding. There's a lot of rage at Trench in particular, not taking this stuff seriously. Um, there's a great sequence in which I believe it's the supervisor of investigations talks about that he's losing people. Like, this is getting out of hand. Uh, Kirkland, I think, yeah. was the name on a lot and of those memos. Trench is not taking this seriously to the point that he straight up shuts down investigations and resigns. And resigns. Yeah. Not Trench. The head of investigation yeah. resigns because he feels like Trench is not taking any of this stuff seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn the more I learn about Trench, the more you realize Trench is not a good director. He's not. He's pretty bad, which also makes you. And the more you learn about like Northmore, it makes you learn that maybe the directorship has been ran pretty crappily before by, Jesse. Before Jesse, like maybe Jesse's trying to kind of write how to do this and this is something we'll talk about like how she promotes emily instead of darling it's an allegory for once millennials finally take over the workforce everything's gonna be a-okay sure <laughs> yeah i mean no i mean yeah no like, you make a point you make a point that's curious yeah yeah everybody yeah okay um yeah, I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> I just thought that that's just the very moment. I feel proud of that. Um, <laughs> big moment. You go down here. I was t- I was just bragging on the lighting where you find the uh, light cord. You do the three clicks like you do, 
And this trigger is one of the biggest information dumps we're going to get. Um, we are Jesse is inside the hotel, but one of the doors that she does not usually go into the, is ajar with a spiral on those. Exactly. Things. So that I took that to be the symbol for that's the portal to the dark place. Exactly. Yep. Inside that door, we see Alan. Alan is having a direct conversation with Thomas Zane, who looks like Alan. Who looks like Alan. <laughs> Thomas Zane also references when Alan talks to him, he's a little out of it because Alan's always out of it in the dark place. Things don't really make sense. Um, he says, Thomas Zane, the poet. And Thomas Zane goes, no, I'm the, the, filmmaker. the filmmaker. You know, then, I, That was just a role I played, which goes back to a conversation yes. that happens early on in Control during the section in which you deal with uh, the uh, candidate program where it talks about – she knows a poem by Thomas Zane, but when they did the interview with her, they no one exists that was a poet by Thomas Zane, but there was a foreign filmmaker named Thomas Zane. So when Alan recognizes Zane, he recognizes him as a poet. Zane refers to himself as a filmmaker. And there's a bit after this scene, too. She was like, Alan was talking to Thomas Zane, the poet? No, the filmmaker. I always remember that wrong. Exactly. It just casually shrugs it but off. But the fact that these are inconsistencies. Also, on the TV around Alan is an episode of Night Springs that gets a flash of Darling on Night Springs. I missed... Uh, um, there's so much here. Yes. There's, Zane makes a statement. Let me get through some of this. Yeah, yeah, bit. yeah. Sorry. Zane <laughs> makes a statement that Wake has been writing again. Um... Wake, Wake says his double is still out there. Yeah. Now we we agree that Zane looks like Alan, but Alan makes a direct statement that my double is still out there, which is the double from the, the DLC. DLC. <laughs> Evil Alan. <laughs> um, which we thought we dealt with, but apparently we did not. Um, Zane t- says basically that he's met him and not to worry about him. So this leads to Alan starting to kind of fall apart again. And the door slams into Jace, um, Jesse's face. Because now I have, because I have a this uh, conversation here. I'm gonna say it for the end has a lot of me theorizing about what Alan Wake Two could potentially yes. be. So we'll continue will, to yeah. go into that. Um, the hotel is now basically an Alan Wake setting. <laughs> like everything is reminiscent of Alan, from the use of TVs to the use of. Um, the sound effects, everything sounds like Alan Wake. Um, this is when we start to gain information about Dr. Hartman. Hartman. We will come to learn Dr. Hartman survived the Alter Ward event at Bright Falls and was brought back to the Bureau. Um, and due to incidences happening inside of investigations, Hartman's been corrupted into a ginormous monster. Um, if we say he's the first like type two of the one of the um remember I said he's like the first type two of the shaded here which is when you get when you actually get while you search for that yeah it's interesting that they are also directly referencing the shaded as a problem because you know alan we know that what they are because alan dealt with them but they are aware of them and have, like, ranking system for them. Yeah, and Dr. Harmon was the first type two shades to be examined. Uh, so I imagine that's, like, the, like, sort of boss encounters of Alan that we yeah. did in Alan yeah. Wake. Like, the, 
stronger entities. There were the Ars Hartman was the first one that was corrupted into like one of those bosses that was examined, and Shaded Hartman was relocated to a replica of the Cauldron Lake Lodge. Exactly, which um is interesting that down here in Alta Ward events, the, to me it, it it's interesting, and I would love to see more information about why Trent shut this place down. Because to me, they seem like they're on the front lines of dealing with the most dangerous situations. Like the Altered World events are why the Bureau like exists, exists. right? Yeah. And it feels like, is that Trench trying to maybe hinder the Bureau and not allow them to be maybe as prepared for when the hiss comes? Um, like I just how wonder. How long was, when he shut down uh, investigations... Uh, was that before or after he had the first encounter with the Hiss? We do know that there was a long period of time between his initial encounter with the Hiss and the events of Control. So I wonder if it is. And like I said, it's interesting to what, read that... Like, is the Hiss just slowly like having influence over him to sabotage the Bureau so that it's in a weakened state? Whenever the hiss arrives, because it strikes me as the investigations would be on the forefront of dealing with that kind of stuff. The stuff that they deal with are the major events. Like, would they see early signs of exactly. the hiss? Um, and the fact is, like, it's interesting because in the in the um, memos that talk about like Trench not supporting him, he's at a loss about it too. He's like, "Why is it that we're not getting funding? I'm not getting agents. I've got people. I'm losing agents, and no one's replacing them." Like. This is getting out of control, and I don't understand why. So it does make you wonder, why is it that that's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, this gets into the similar structure, similar structure to the foundation here, where we're going to be hunting down Hartman through multiple sections in this because um, we encounter we encounter in the first time, and this kind of shows how like the bo- the boss stages are going to go before we actually have to fight him. Where we're in a dark room and have to use batteries to light the way in such a way that we can we light up the whole room and he goes to a different area. Exactly. There's also um, we're gaining the the darkness is draining on on Jesse. She loses her ability to use her powers. You know, it drains your power meter basically. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a lot of jokes about flashlights in here. Um, there's a straight up joke where, uh, was it Lanson? Oh, Langston. Langston's like, what, do you got a flashlight? And Jesse's like, no. Lantern, flare gun, Christmas lights. He goes yeah. through all of the light sources um, in Alan White. That was pretty good. We also directly get the darkness back. The sludge darkness stuff is here, and we do have to use light to kill it. In a very interesting way, like, we don't have a flashlight on us, so we have to look for sources of light in the environment, pull them, and then use that. I'm surprised there were no enemies that yeah, were like I was that. I was, expect, I was really expecting that to happen. I was constantly expecting, especially when they referenced Hartman being a shade. I was like, well, that means there's potentially other shades. Like how many his-shade hybrids? I was like, we're going to have to fight some his-shade hybrids. And this then, is no, so. also, Control at points get creep gets creepy, mm-hmm. but it never becomes a horror game in my mind. This is a horror section. Like There's yeah. a lot of darkness and scary moments and jump scares. Um, but also it's information overload. Like when you get to control central command where they have the big map of the United States, um, or the ward actually, I believe it's the ward. 
Um, it's mostly just, of the U.S., I yeah. think, the big map. But there's tons of great stuff in there. There's a recording of an agent who spent the night in the hotel and had a camera that he was putting underneath the door to try to monitor actions out in the hallway. Um, there's just a ton of like good references to particularly Bright Falls, but also towards incidents like Kiev that I talked about, um, with other ultra-world events. Um, yeah, it just continually blows my mind that like this would be a department shut down. <laughs> like I was like, these guys are on the front lines. Um, bunch of cool stuff here. The big thing is we're going to be now moving towards one of two ultra-world events. We'll just go through these section by section. One of them being, uh, the first one is an ultra-world event. I think it's Fran Marino. Uh, Fra Moro is what I have it as. It's a train. Um, mm -hmm. And this ultra when you get there, you're going to, as you will in all these sections, fight Hartman. This is a little bit interesting because we have to turn the train on and use the light to navigate across. Oh, sorry. From Murrow was the Apollo 14 one. Oh, with From Murrow. Let's go to the Apollo 14 one. Yeah. <laughs> from so, Murrow was... So that one was uh, Apollo 14 go, goes to the space and then comes back with a whole bunch of weird stuff. <laughs> well, they come back with an extra passenger. No one can tell what happened. <laughs> they go up with six guys. They come back with seven, and no one can remember which one was the one that didn't go up. <laughs> uh, there's some great stuff here with the Bureau dealing with NASA. I like the fact that this teaches you that the Bureau is known by at least some other agencies. Because Makes sense, since NASA would, because of the chance of like extraterrestrial life, that they would be in close contact with the Bureau. Every mission, I bet they'll get a memo from the Bureau saying, Hey, you see some weird stuff? <laughs> well, the fact is, like, the concept is this guy comes back down with them, and, like, none of the astronauts can tell you who went up and who didn't. Um, but the the, the kind of giveaway is he can't speak four sentences, which would trigger a side mission. We'll talk about that after we – there's a massive fight around the Apollo 14 lander that's been reset back up um, with Hartman. That's where you do your kind of boss fight there. That's a pretty good section. I love any time we come on part one of these like ultra world event locations because it always has a cool set piece like the Apollo fourteen land or the pu the puzzle boss fights. I really liked in this section, not having to engage, but having to like move the light in a track to get all of the batteries while trying to stay into the light and figuring that out. When I died, it was because I messed up the puzzle. Yeah, so. That was fun. There's some I really, really good puzzles in this section. Um, I really also, there's a side mission that triggers after you beat Hartman in this location. Well, they've got the guy locked away, and he speaks kind of gibberish. And he keeps talking about the top. They took the top. <laughs> and so you just bring him a bunch of random stuff, and he keeps getting pissed off at you until you finally figure out it's a helmet. They took his space helmet. <laughs> and you have to leave and come back and go get the helmet. And he's like, yeah, thank you. And, and Jesse's like, do you want me to get you out of there? And he's like, I don't know. He seems happy. And Jesse's like, okay, cool. Um, I loved I, – one thing I will say is consistent is Jesse Faden is a great character. Um, Her uh, confidence really shines, at, especially post-game. Yeah. Because she's just like, I'm the director now, so is this is my job to handle yeah, this. Yeah, I really love this whole section when she's talking to him because she's just like, I have no clue what you're saying, buddy. I'm trying to help here. 
And when you finally give him the thing, he's like, do you want to come out? And he's like, I guess you're fine. Uh, I'll see you later. <laughs> you know? Um, it's, it's a fun little thing there. Um, the second section is the one with the train. Uh, similar situation. Uh, there's a great uh, puzzle in here with a bunch of uh, power, um, I guess power stations, and those you gotta move the the cubes around to open up gates to gain access to more power blocks. Yeah. Um, and if you do them all the right way, you can also gain access to some like equipment stuff and like new upgrades. Yeah. Um, just I love the puzzle stuff in here. All the puzzle stuff is great in this section. There's also a great section in here which you get ambushed by Harden in the like uh, the bowels of the facility so it's you sprinting to light sources in the dark as he's attacking you mm-hmm. and trying to blow the holes in walls to get to places it's really hard. Oh, i like that bit yeah. a lot that was probably the most horror it's element most, it of was this straight game. out of like resident like, evil seeing cracks in the wall that is what it reminded me so much of the fight in the sewers not well not the sewers the um the boiler room in Resident Evil Two. Yeah, where you, the, yeah, where you're fighting the first iteration of the Titan. No, where you fight the first iteration of um, the Doctor. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you have to fight him for the first time as Leon or it, or it reminded me of that bit. Yeah, yeah, it's very, yeah, very, uh, yeah, yeah. It does. It's very good. Um, and Harden is a consistently scary enemy, like Sam, because the concept of anytime you go anywhere dark, you figure in Hartman's gonna be there. He looks great in the dark when you he's lit up. Yeah, fully he looks stupid. Yeah, he looks like a <laughs> he, fake Slender Man looking. He looks like an I, I, like an ant from yeah, uh, Lord, Lord of the, of the Rings. Rings. Yeah. <laughs> um, the train station one similar fight. We're turning on lights to get him burned off the darkness. Um, concept makes a ton of sense if you played Alan Wake. Um, the train side mission, did you do that one by chance? Uh, uh, that one, you just go into the train, and there's six different objects that you can interact with no, that cues a sound effect, and the way to complete the side mission is basically to cue them in the right order to set up what happened. So basically there was a train fire and a crashed train crashed so you had to queue up the sound effects to get the order of events correct so it was like a little logic puzzle oh okay it's no combat or anything it's all in that one room and it's very simple yeah. but i liked it the side missions here sound like fun I need they're to go, pretty good i need to go check these out because i beelined awe for the most yeah. part the only other side mission that i did complete was the dead letters which you gave, oh the uh, uh, the chain letter chain letters where, where Jesse says my mom always told me to stay away from these <laughs> yeah but you you go off and you make copies of them and then you just mail them you go mail them just in case wait, wait does the chain does that imply that all chain letters actually originate from the bureau the bureau <laughs> maybe but Jesse's response <laughs> is great. like this is so stupid. But just in case, let's go ahead and mail them. And so she mails them all, and then it gets you to an altered ward of item. I believe it's a mailbox that you find that, that you can cleanse. But it's a fun little that, side mission. Nothing yeah. bad. Um, and the good thing is most of the uh, – once you start the – you make the copies, most of the um, locations to go do the mailing are on your way to other places. So you can just stop in and mail the spot real quick. Um, and then the uh, the other one is just the arcade machine 
which is basically yeah, that, just combat. Did the arcade machine. It's just a combat. Yep. Um, At first, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun, and then it's just a combat room. I'm like, ah, oh, man. I was hoping something better. I was hoping something <laughs> good, but uh, yeah, it was okay. Do you have limited time to make these DLCs? I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, could, I could tell that this was the one they really put their heart and soul into because this was a much better DLC than Foundation. But. Agreed. Agreed. Um, my thing was with this is I my multiple notes just say this was a good fight with Hartman, but shouldn't have to do this three times. Um, it, that was something that I thought with the nail too. Mm-hmm. It was rule of three, rule of multiple rule of you know do something more than once, and it just felt kind of padded. Um, this gains you access to the Bright Falls Alter Ward event area, which is the part we wanted to be in. <laughs> um, and then you get there, and uh, <laughs> the look of it is just not there for me no it doesn't it, look great it and she's like they recreated this like ordinary and i'm like no they didn't not at all <laughs> uh, this was very haphazard <laughs> um uh, insert like the price is right do 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 is that walking yes. in there i was just like oh sweet we're gonna see a recreation of bright fall oh this is it's, well, a, it's a room <laughs> when i when i said that i felt like alan wake they were going somewhere and then they pulled off the last minute this is what i meant yeah um a lot we of, get a lot of con- go ahead there's a lot of memos here yes. just scattered around haphazardly um, not in any place that makes sense just a bunch of red folders around the room that you can so alan has been missing for 10 years yes alan and his wife are also now divorced scary creepy alan Showed up in his wife's house in the middle of the night, and she got a photo of him, and that photo is haunting. It looks like that's where I'm connecting it. It looks like did you watch the trailer for Alan Wake Two? It looks like the same like scream and like the uh, like um, veiny like blood veiny face as like the last shot that you see in the teaser for Alan Wake when Wake says. Uh, this this story is a monster. I the concept that that's the only time Alan appears makes you wonder which version of Alan got out of the darkness. I have her. I, that was the note I scanned. The interview with uh, Alice Waite. Yeah, because that was, that was where a lot of the beefy stuff comes in. Yeah, here. would you like to kind of give us the highlights of that? Yeah, it's a really short thing. I'll just read the thing. Interview was conducted by a couple agents and revealed that Ms. Mrs. Wake has had a recurring nightly visitations from her missing ex-husband in her New York apartment, address blocked out. Mr. Wake appears out of nowhere and rushes her down the corridor. According to her impression, he appears crazy and horrifying, clearly coming at her with violent intent. Mrs. Wake believes that he is haunting her, insisting that insisting he is not Alan, but a monster in his body. Mrs. Wake has not been sleeping out of fear of these visits. Her attempts to keep the lights on through the night result in her relevant hallways light bulb breaking every night, possibly indicating the involvement of a blank. <laughs> um, which like, there's so further much investigation required. Four four uh, requests have been sent to Mr. Kirkland and administration for approval. <laughs> um, so much to unpack there. One. We remember that Alice is is got a phobia of the darkness. She's scared of the dark. So the concept that the lights are breaking in our home, the concept that she is a nightly visit by Alan, which explains how she got the photo. It's almost like she set up a camera or something. A camera take, rig. It says that, I think, in one of the memos. She set up a camera rig to catch him. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I believe it's the memo that's associated with the photo. Um, my God, if you did not play the DLC in Alan Wake, you would be so confused. Because like, evil is- Alan doesn't really make an appearance in mainline Alan Wake. But in that DLC, that's all evil Alan. Which um, I thought uh, when we played the DLC that even though Alan was still in the dark place, that he had won the battle for his soul is what I initially thought with the DLC. Don't we we see Alice at the end of the DLC escape? We know we it confirms at the end of or that's the main that's game. the main game that's the main game. Do, you see I thought we saw out. Alan escape at the end of it. Wonder if I wonder if Alan didn't escape. I wonder if the evil version of Alan escaped. That, ooh, then maybe that's what. We th- if you remember Thought. correctly, I want to say there's a shot of Alan like surfacing in the water. I wonder if we were designed to be told that Alan escaped. But really, it's the dark, dark Alan escapes. Um, that would be curious. There's and so they, let's let's finish this. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into our Alan Wake two theories. Yes, because I have um, I have a lot of them. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> um, the big thing is here is just the final boss fight with. Hartman. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I know this gave y'all a lot of trouble. Um, it's not good. It's the shut on the lights thing again. Then you fight Hartman, but that's not a big deal. But the problem is, then he has the ability to knock the lights back out and regain his health. That is. And the- that's a bullshit boss design. I will not defend that at it's all. It's near random. You can't figure out the time. I finally figured it out. Because I figured you can stun lock him through shooting his legs. There's no indicator on can, him that says the legs are the weak point. You can also stun lock him by launching things at him. Gotcha. So you throw stuff. That's how I did it. It is bullshit. I, I, it's a bad... I, I hate this boss. I love this game. I liked the first bit and was like, that was a really good like, end cap to this. And then the lights went off and I was like, alright, second phase. Th- this won't be bad. I said 30 minutes before I finished the thing. Well, the problem is, like I said, and with him healing himself, it wouldn't be bad if he didn't heal himself. Exactly. But the problem is you heal him, and it's so random which ones he knocks out, there's no way to anticipate it. It's not good. I will not defend I, it. I don't like uh, this. I won't defend it at all. And it, 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 they just cut in half. It could have been great. Yeah. A good finisher. It's just that annoying last bit ruins the entire boss um, fight. And like soured my opinion on AWE until we talked about it and went, oh, no, no, everything else was great. It's just this. Yeah. It's a bad bar. Um, weirdly enough, one mechanic that was added in these two DLCs is the ability to call for a ranger. Did you do that? Yeah. Um, and in this particular section, you can call for a ranger to come help you. He was helpful in this he one. He was damn on. <laughs> like, he was dropping fools in this one. But a lot of times they don't really help. But it I thought found it was da- so foundation. Weird. He could mop easily, just like wipe the floor I just thought it was away. such a weird mechanic to randomly throw in. Like, I guess it's to show Jesse can call for help if she needs it. From... Either that or that maybe they thought some of these sections were too difficult. So and like, that was their solution of balancing. Throw in a ranger to help, <laughs> I guess. Throw in a guy. Because he's usually high rank, like high level and high amount of health. So I wonder if that was a solution. I don't know. Because right before, boss fight's broken. Uh, throw in a throw in a guy. <laughs> anytime that you have a big fight, you have the option to call in a ranger ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So this it's odd. Which in some of these places, I was like, how did this guy get here? Like in the foundation, especially the beginning, I was like, he I shows up through the aw the Bright Falls doors. Like, how did you get in? Yeah, <laughs> it's very odd. Um, and you ran through the dark. Why didn't Hartman get you? <laughs> but um, yeah, it's not a good boss fight. No. Um, this cues the ending 
Um, we Langston is offered the position as head of investigations because Jesse agrees is bullshit that they shut down investigations. <laughs> yeah. He says, I've seen what happens to department heads, so I don't think I want to do that. Um, but this is the big one. The big reveal is Langston informs you that they've received a distress message for a few years in the future. A couple years in the future, there was an AWE detected at Bright Falls. At Bright Falls, Jesse responds with, "Do we?" How, he goes, I don't know how we got that. We're under lockdown. We shouldn't have got a message. And she goes, well, could you have got it beforehand? He goes, I don't know. And then she goes, do we have anybody on site? Agent Estevez. And he goes, yes, Agent Estevez is on site. So we know a character who's presumably going to be in the sequel. And then we get a scene, a, a cut from Alan, where Alan just straight up basically gives some information, like some talk about the it, story not being over, yada, yada. It's happening, it's happening again, a return. You have been warned. Do, 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 do. So good. Cue the Alan Wake music. <laughs> um, so that's the end of AWE. That's just um, Agent Tom. <laughs> or Major Tom. Major, Agent yeah. Tom. Dang it, I ruined the joke. <laughs> but, um, so, obviously, as fans of Alan Wake, we are excited. I'm excited. There's so many questions this opens If you up. did not play Alan Wake, you probably played this DLC and was like, what? Half? Yeah, what? It, and also, d- if you were not... crazy. Because PlayStation got this first before Alan Wake was on PlayStation 4. Which is ridiculous. Oof, that's crazy. Because also, Alan Wake... Also, not only did you have to play Alan Wake, you had to play the DLC. Right. The doppelganger does not exist in the mainline game. Oh, Remedy. Yeah. <laughs> there's an assumption you just play everything. Yeah. Um the idea which, at this, which is cool but at the same time you're alienating a lot of like is the idea like if you are confused you go and find a way to play alan wake or you just go and you listen to a podcast with two gentlemen tell you all about it hey <laughs> um one of the biggest things that this is interesting is obviously zane is changed zane in the mainline alan wake game was this character from the past that was alan's guide he was obviously on Alan's side, and he was Alan's guide to get him through the darkness. Zane seems to have a different edge to him now. But he was a figure that also they Barry and the um, Sarah knew about Thomas Zane. Was he wrote he wrote the um, he wrote the manuscript page where the clicker materializes in at the last bit of that game so he's, he he writes in what saves alan yeah or attempts to save alan saves it saves alice. everyone else it yeah. saves everyone except Alan. he writes that in um zane is he's a positive force for alan and his tone is always concerned and there for you you know this Zane that we meet in the 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 let's say the hotel sequences is doesn't seem to be the same man. Well, either that or they've just been together for ten years trying to figure out a way to this mess and are just constantly getting frustrated. It's like an author and his editor, but imagine being stuck in the same room with your editor for ten years trying I, to write a story that literally writes 
your redemption. I mean, there was a mo- like, I mean, when Zane talks to Alan, he says, "How about you have a drink? Let's just have a drink, calm down." But I would my argument against that is that doesn't explain why Zane is changing like his history, why Alan still refers to him as a poet, and he goes, "I'm not a poet. I'm a filmmaker." That is weird. I um, still haven't. So like that. M- that concept to me is is this the same Zane? You know, we talked about that after Alterward events, it seems like things are, repl- are fixed but not put back in the right order. Is this the Zane that was put back into the ward, not the Howard Zane that was... Thomas Zane. Tom- I mean, Thomas Zane, sorry. Yeah, right. Not the Thomas Zane that was the original. Is this like a different version of Thomas? Um, obviously, Thomas has dealings with Alan's doppelganger. Well, if my theory is true that the doppelganger escaped, not Alan... How is the doppelganger still interacting with Alan? Um, is it because they're connected through the consciousness? Is it the fact that because he's a darkness, he has ties to the dark place at all times? The biggest thing is we we all took a, a shot at the concept that Alan Wake's universe or Alan Wake is behind one of the doors in the hotel. And this game, and this DLC confirms it to me. That behind that door is where Alan is. So that that if you can get through that door, you maybe can gain access to where Alan is. Um, but my question is, and we don't have an answer to this, is one of the things that we were kind of confused on, and one of the characters that was left over is you know the the Dino girl, the girl from the Dino Rose. Rose. She's not referenced at all in any of the. Um, different manuscripts or, or me or interviews or anything like that. Well, because at the end of Alan Wake, she she's, she's the, out with, but she's, she's out, like, but she's the Lady of the Light now. She has the lantern, and uh, Nightingale is with her. Yes, yeah, Asian Nightingale is with her. I may have listened to our discussions again to refresh myself before playing these DLCs. Yeah, so. <laughs> which apparently, thanks to some hard work by Michael, I'll have time codes. Oh now. yeah, I forgot to plug that. All, all of season one, all the way to the first couple episodes of season two. Now I'll have time codes, and so I can go yeah. back and uh... realize how weird this show used to be. <laughs> <laughs> we were so professional back then. Also very monotone back yeah, then. Yeah, we really. were very monotone. Ooh. Whoa, relax and chill discussion. And now we're just like... Ah! ah! <laughs> exactly. Now we're that. Thank you for sticking with us if you yeah, stuck so with us from the beginning. <laughs> um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to those episodes, there's some damn good ones back there, but you'll just have to get used to us being more monotone. <laughs> um, I am so... I, Alan Wake 2 is the game I am most... That and Space Marine 2 <laughs> are the games I'm most excited for. And the thing with Alan Wake 2 is I'm so excited and I still don't grasp what that's going to be. Because the end of... I had a theory with Alan at the end of the DLC and Alan Wake. I thought Alan had successfully escaped. And that may be the dark... Pre- his doppelganger or dark presence was going to come like after him. Exactly. Essentially. But then in this, my new theory is I don't think Alan ever escaped. I think the doppelganger will escape. Because if you see the footage, if I remember correctly, the scene, it's a very short scene. We don't see Alan do anything like normal Alan or doppelganger Alan. So I don't think we know which one escaped. I'm pretty sure doppelganger Alan escaped. And Alan's left in the dark place. And here we are thinking Alan got out and Alan didn't. 
Um, because Alan, unless Alan's been so mentally broken by the experiences of the darkness that he's been broken. Um, I do have wonderings in Alan Wake 2. This is just a weird thought. To appear. Alan in the trailer for Alan Wake 2, does he look like Alan or does he look like Zane? His hair is long covering his face and his full beard, but he looks like, I always thought he looked like, even like the live action pictures of him, I always thought he looked like Jake Gyllenhaal. And now he looks even more like Jake yeah, Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, it's just Alan Wake with modern graphics and tech. So I wonder if, wouldn't it be crazy if you play Alan Wake 2 and you don't play as Alan? And you discover at the end you're actually Thomas Zane who has taken over Alan's body and Alan is still there? <laughs> or, do, I mean, we see Alan Wake, but wouldn't it be crazy if you play as this agent Esperez or whatever it is? Oh, and you're just like... <laughs> and Alan is the... Thing we're trying to find. Like, we're trying to find out. Or Alan we're Wake. trying to deal with... And it's with actually the... a sequel to Control. That would be the most insane thing ever, right? Well, I mean... Where you're reporting to Jesse as you're trying to find Alan. I mean, I feel like with Agent S... For... That will not happen. <laughs> but that sounds like a cool but, idea. Well, well, but... I just wonder... Or is that the actual escape? Because in the... The information, the vague information we have about Alan Wake 2 is that it is a survival horror game. Yeah. I wonder, and the original Alan Wake was also supposed to be open ward. I wonder if this is going to be a thing where Alan actually does get out and then realizes that this doppelganger has been out for 10 years or however long. And now Alan's got to hunt down the doppelganger. Again, is a doppelganger just ruining his like literary career, just writing terrible books? No, he's smoking his wife. I know, but what if he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess with this guy's wife, and I'm gonna ruin his literary career? Just flood the market with endless books, like every week it's the Alan Wake book. Oh he's no, the James, James Patterson. Patterson. <laughs> he's James Patterson. He goes out, and goes, no, what have I done? <laughs> no, because I will say the show they straight up reference that there's like those conversations about no one knows who Alan Wake is. That's true, but but then those conversations in the investigations that there is awareness of his characters. So investigations know Alan exists because obviously they have a file on him, but the open the main ward does not know that Alan exists, and he was a big time. So we were supposed to in Alan Wake assume that he was almost like Stephen King. He was a very major famous author you know like you know we talk about like the bookshop had all of his books up and stuff like he's a major famous author Mm -hmm. so i don't know this game makes me so excited i have here the dialogue from alan's dialogue from the trailer here that i'm gonna read because i think it shatters everything he says we all come to a story with hopes and expectations looking for an answer sometimes it would be better to live with that hope without ever finding the story this is not the story you want it to be. We uh, we all come to the story with hopes. I'm going to go ahead and say this. Yeah. You know what that means? We're not going to play as Alan. We come to stories. We come to Alan Wake with all our hopes and expectations. And this is not this. So we're going to play as that agent. <laughs> That's your theory now? That we're going... That I'm gonna the story's going to be about Alan, but we don't play exactly. as Alan? Ooh, that, that'd, be, that'd be interesting. Or we play as Zane or something. That I think, I'm, and now I'm probably like I'm. I know I'm most likely wrong, 
But I'm going to go ahead and say, but if I'm right, I want all the credit for the internet. <laughs> I want to be put on the, the internet shoulders and parading around town. Oh, I'm going to clip out that podcast and make it go viral. Of like, we called Alan Wake 2 before anyone else did. Here <laughs> on the year 2022, February, what day is today? I uh, forget. <laughs> it's beginning of February. I say that in Alan Wake 2, I don't think you're going to play as Alan Wake. I think you're going to play as someone else. Because then I think it's going to be more about the fallout of what Alan has done. Which would probably be the best way to get the story because it's someone investigating what happened to to Alan Alan. Wake. Or or what if you're switching perspectives? Like you play as Alan and then you're like investigating what happened to Alan and then you play those sections about what happened to Alan. Like you're piecing together the mystery. Well, remember that... Okay, beforehand... We were reading copies in the manuscript in Alan Wake of Alan, that Alan wrote. He doesn't remember writing. What happens if your entire hunting down of Alan is trans is given to you via copies of this new writing that he's been done doing? Because Zane says you've been writing again, and Alan says he doesn't remember. Now that could set up that Alan gives more manuscripts for Alan to read in Alan Wake too. Or it could be a situation where those manuscripts are what we're reading, and the Alan Wake two is not about playing as alan it's about finding alan where maybe alan realizes that he has to write a character trying to find him in order to well, get he out write, he says in the dlc he says alan wake needed a hero and i took that to be jesse what happens if it's not jesse if if it's uh uh estevez what happens if he, he's not? Because I took it. <laughs> that as would Jesse. make so many people I, mad, but I would love oh, it. Oh man, <laughs> I would be because I was sitting there thinking, he does that mean Wake came up with the bureau, and did Wake come up with Jesse? Like, is these car- people made by Wake to try to you know? But then what wouldn't be even make more sense that he's not talking about Jesse? He created Agent Estevez or whatever. To you play as a character him. written by Alan Wake to save Alan Wake. Oh, Alan's <laughs> writing himself a hero to save himself. Because before, it makes sense also because before Alan tried to write himself out of the story, well, out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's not, he gave up trying to write himself out of the situation. Now he's trying to write someone to come save him. <laughs> Like I know we're gonna we're completely wrong. We're, it's gonna be completely but wrong. I know that someone, we're gonna play the game and be like, oh yeah, this is better. <laughs> no, well I know someone's gonna be like, we can't make Alan Wake two and not have you play as Alan Wake. But wouldn't it be damn cool if even if it's just switch back and forth? You play sometimes as the agent, sometimes as Alan. But boy, wouldn't that be damn cool? That you play as the character that Alan Wake wrote. While the story is being narrated by Alan Wake. Yes. That'd be insane. I am so excited. Cutting myself off from trailers or. I just want to see gameplay. Gameplay breakdowns. I do want to see gameplay. I want to know what gameplay looks like. Um, I want to know. Is there. Survival horror. Does that mean you put crafting in this thing? (laughs) Is it crafting or is it like Resident Evil kind of thing where you're just going to have to manage weapons and 
batteries and stuff like chess that. Chess pieces. And chess pieces. Well, maybe that. <laughs> but is it going to be maybe more puzzly, you know, than... I, I like you know, that. They did a lot of puzzles for Control here. They did. They do a lot of puzzles so for it Control. So maybe, maybe the, hey, we got some puzzles down. And I will say the puzzles are so good here. I don't mind them. But maybe we're going to be a little bit more puzzly in Alan Wake 2 and a little bit more stingy on weapons and ammo and batteries and stuff like that. Um, I am so excited about Alan Wake 2. I... I, I it's probably my most anticipated game coming. I'm very excited for a bunch of games coming out this year, especially because it's going to be a crazy packed year. But Alan Wake is the one I have the biggest like. I I need this in my life. I just. It's a story that. Some of it's a connection to the show, but I played the first Alan Wake when it came out. But the big thing is, it's such a unique game. And Alan is a is a character that for some reason grasped I grabbed onto and was like Alan is my guy like I like Alan as a character and I liked how flawed he was and I liked so much about him and like like I said I, I told you when uh, this game started Alan when I saw yeah. Alan in the in the elevator I couldn't help myself I was like I gotta go see what's going on with Alan because I was like it's Alan. I was like, oh crap. Wake is one of those games where whenever I talk about or theorize about it, I have to, I'm like, I tell my wife, I was like, you're not going to know what I'm going to say. I just need to get this out there for, and I look like Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's like, what, what's up with that one? Like, <laughs> well, and also it's a ward in like control. It's a ward where you don't grasp everything. So many games and wards in fiction are so well flushed out that by the time you're all said and done, you've experienced all the content they've given you, you have a like a encyclopedic knowledge of the ward. Here they leave so much gaps that you don't feel like bad writing. You feel like they're intentional gaps so they don't give you too much. That it lets your imagination play. And you're like, well what what is like I was with the hotel. I was like if Alan's behind that door, there's three doors on that wall that are marked. What's behind the other door? You know, we know which one leads to the oldest house. We know which one leads to... Now we know which one leads to maybe the dark place. But there's a third door. It's the biggest mystery since uh, watching Nightmare Before Christmas and then being like, what's behind the other holiday doors? I have to know. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't know if I ever want to know what's behind all the doors. But the concept that I sit there and I'm like... The mystery is yeah. there. And the fact that they, if they were to say, hey, we're going to explore what's behind this door, that's just as exciting as if they leave it closed. Yeah, exactly. And now also, I want to see how... I do want, I do want to know what the next chapter for Jesse is. I think Jesse's a great character. Um, naturally, I want to see Jesse pop up in Alan Wake 2. But at the same time, we're I don't... Gonna, we're going to hear her name. We're going to... Well, because she's been made aware of the event, and because it is a couple years in the future, we are to assume that the Bureau should be back online by that point. Unless Jesse's having a hell of a time. But the hits just keep coming. We found another yeah. door. <laughs> but I imagine by that point, the Bureau should be back online. Are we going to get a situation where the Bright Falls incident kicks off? Jesse knows when it's going to kick off. Because it's from the, she gets the message ahead of time. Will Jesse be there when it happens? It's going to be, I think, despite having Estevez as a prominent character, 
I have a feeling we're not going to see any stuff until like the end. It's going to be like uh, the end credit scene. You're going to see Jesse like boots on the ground wherever Alan Wake 2 like finishes. And she's going to have, uh, her, it's going to be her and Emily there. And they're going to dig up something that'll lead to the next part of the mystery. Either something Leads for to control Control's to. future that'll lead to Control 2 or... Wouldn't it be cool if that's how they do it? They just flip-flop those games. So it's Alan Wake, Control, Alan Wake 2, Control 2. Quantum Break 2. No one gives a shit. <laughs> I did look at some people's like breakdowns like in case of things I missed. That's where I learned that American Nightmare is apparently perceived as an attempt by Alan to write himself out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. um, and I have American Nightmare on my hard drive. I need to play it. But we won't play it for the show because we have to play other things. Um, we can't just play Remedy games. No. <laughs> the Remedy As class. much as we would like to just play Remedy games. If Remedy sometimes. wants to like give me some money, I'll just do a podcast for them where we'll just be about us putting things together. Maybe they can hook me up with some interviews. I'll interview the guy. Dude, you want to interview the guy who voices out of way? I would I fucking want do nothing, that a heartbeat. I would want nothing more than to interview the guy. There's very <laughs> few like voice actors and stuff that I like like want to meet and shit. But if you told me like the guy who voices Alan Wake is down the street at a convention. I go meet that. I'd get that guy's there. autograph. I just want him to do my voicemail. I'd go. <laughs> I'd go find like the uh, Alan Wake paperback novelization of the game because that actually exists. I thought about it. There's a novelization of Alan Wake. Where is it at? Uh, Can't I get it, it on Amazon. I found it on Amazon. Yeah, I'm buying it now. But apparently, it's just like a recreate. I don't give story a shit. I have to have that on my. <laughs> bookshelf man <laughs> like I, the fact I found that I just, out that exists yesterday i am buying that tonight <laughs> i uh, need to know I, if it's good or not <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's not going to contain any new information it's just going to be that game and or does it what <laughs> you're gonna look look at the novelization of the game for clues do you not think i would do that oh i know you would yes <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're going to see how... If that thing's not one of those crazy price novels on Amazon, like $999... I think it's like uh, 12 bucks or something. Sold. <laughs> Buying it tonight. Um, yeah. Um, we, we, that, kind of, that, that speculation kind of came went away from us at some point. <laughs> we're so excited. Yeah, very excited. No, we're also excited about... Our next game! Our next game! Woo! You want to talk about what our next game is? Yes. So our next game is... Firewatch. Firewatch, which is a um, a game that I've been wanting to play for a very, very long time. Um, I I am uh, trying to get myself in the emotional state for Firewatch. I have been told that Firewatch is heavy, bro. <laughs> so, I watched a playthrough of Firewatch around the time it came out because it wasn't... It wasn't originally on Xbox. That was a PC and a PS4 game. I didn't have a PS4 at the time. So I was just like, I'm interested in this. This seems like a game I could just watch. So I remember pieces of it, but not the whole thing. So it's going to be a similar situation to when I was like, when I played, we played Alan Wake for the first time. Yeah. Where I know like the broad strokes, but to actually fine tune it, I think is going to be exciting. Um, um, kind of yeah. give us the rundown on Firewatch. Firewatch is a first-person adventure game created by Campo Santo, and the studio was formed in 2013 by Telltale Games writers Sean Veneman and Jake Rodkin. 
After finishing The Walking Dead in 2012, the two writers wanted a more risky project to keep them motivated. Uh, little did they know that staying with Telltale was actually the riskier move. That was the editorial thing right there. <laughs> I feel like you added that. I, add, a little, <laughs> add a little polish in there. Uh, game designer Nelson Anderson, known for Mark of the Ninja, an incredible game. Mark Not the- who you'd think they would get, though. <laughs> Mark of the Ninja rules. Uh, graphic artist Ollie Moss and environment artist uh, Jane Ning and composer Chris Remo all joined the studio. So a very small team. I think a total of 12 people worked on Firewatch. So a small team got a publishing deal with Panic Inc., who at the time were known for Mac applications. Camposanto's project would be their first game that they published. Uh, the marketing push was based on the game's art direction, which was inspired by posters for FDR's New Deal and na- the National Park Service icons. Which uh, I think is interesting because, like, it, it, that's a very distinct art style if you know what it looks like. The only reason I do is I spent a lot of time in, like, national parks as a kid and stuff. And there's, mm. like, there's always, like, a little museum that's at the national park that's, like, here's a bunch of guys digging the places where you camp at now, you know. And it's just always back. You know, it's interesting. It's cool that they, they pulled from that location. The team went camping at Yosemite National Park for inspiration, and the lookout towers in the game are designed in such a way that they would pass government specifications. Uh, The walkie-talkie communication in the game was inspired by the Atlas conversations in Biowatch. I always think it's fun when games... Uh, Biowatch. Bioshock, not Biowatch. Biowatch is probably a different game. Biowatch might be the parody version. You don't want to look up the (laughs) Biowatch. (laughs) Uh, no, get, no, I can see that, though, yeah. Uh, the two main characters, Henry and Delilah, are voiced by Mad Men actor Rich Sommer and Sissy Jones, who voiced Joyce in Life is Strange. Joyce. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, Chloe's yeah. mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, many Giant Bomb fans remember the running gag, what is Firewatch? <laughs> <laughs> well, running gag. I sent the video. I might. We might post it in the, um, the description notes. here. Because that is just, it's probably the best prep for this game because it's literally uh, Jeff Gersman asking questions. What is it? And then uh, Patrick tried to explain it. He's like, no, but what is it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great bit. Boy, Jared Bomb used to be the best, man. Oh, man. I watched it and got really happy and then got really sad. Yeah. Just like, man. You can't go home, brother. <laughs> no, but... um. Go ahead. The game released in 2016 to positive reviews, receiving several Best Indie Game Awards, awards in writing, voice acting, visuals, and appeared in some year-end Game of the Year lists. You can play Firewatch on Xbox Game Pass, PC, Mac, Linux, PS4, and Switch. So pretty much everywhere. Pretty much everywhere. Yeah. So definitely play along with us. We're going to do this as a one-shot, correct? It is about a four-hour game. Yes, so one-shot. So we'll talk about the entire experience on the next show. Um, it's uh, I think this is going to be a good one. Uh, I feel like we're coming out swinging heavy with play, with uh, season three with Control and now Firewatch. After and- a very gameplay intensive game that is Control, I really am in the mood for something that's more relaxing that yeah won't, not as gameplay taxing especially after this DLC. Um, I I've heard that this game is a particularly heavy game. With some of the concepts and, t- and things that are I remember with. some like really emotional um, moments. I will, and, but a lot. But 
also somehow relaxing like a lot of quieter moments yeah too, if so there is any weird like content stuff that maybe people don't you know it needs to be like a warning or something i will put that in the description of firewatch mm-hmm. um just in case sometimes people don't want to you know if it's dealing with some tough topics maybe it might be you know someone doesn't want to deal with that at that moment i'll put that in the description so be aware of that, that if there is any like content warning or something like that we'll put that in the description I'm always more sensitive on that kind of stuff with games like this because they can hit you in like a very emotional way, and you don't want to hit somebody in a place where they might be dealing with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just some, trying. some games can hit very close to home in some exactly, ways. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so that should be fun. I'm looking forward to the conversation, man. It's going to be great. We'll see you back for the next episode. Um, stay to save at gmail.com is your email address to send your emails to at stay to save on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, let's make a real big push. Let's get some of these uh, scores, some reviews, things like that. Let's make a good push. We got a lot of exciting stuff in the walks that's kind of all in planning stages and we'll be kicking off later on in the year. But let's, uh, let's get this year started off right, get some more people in front of stuff, because I think that uh, it's going to be a very different this season than we've done before, but I think it's going to be it's going to be good. I think, I have, I think it's going to be some good ideas coming up. So it should be fun. As always, stay safe out there.